Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, equipping us to grow into a deeper walk with Christ. Part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking through a Christian creation response to a new bioscience company that's announced plans to restore a woolly mammoth to the Arctic tundra. A recent article began with the words, It's the elephant in the genomics room. Can extinct species be resurrected? Interesting language they use there. We might unpack that shortly. While many see the value in protecting species from extinction, this new move is about de-extinction or rewilding efforts, bringing extinct animal species back. Now, proponents say the emerging technology has the potential to help restore damaged ecosystems and slow or even halt the effects of climate change. So, is this just Jurassic Park fiction? What does the serious scientist make of finding DNA and other biochemicals in fossils? Is it possible that DNA in fossils could be millions of years old? Well, how does the biblical Christian think about these new frontiers aspired to by the science community? Well, this is where our conversation's going today, and I want to invite you to join in our conversation. In just a few minutes, we'll open our talkback lines with our very special guest today back with us, Dr. Don Batten, who is the CEO of Creation Ministries International. Don, a special welcome back to 2020. Well, thank you, Neil. Great to be with you again. So, Don... It sounds a little like Jurassic Park. Uh, is 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 there some truth and sense, and is there science here? What are your overall perceptions of this new move? Well, the interesting is a private company that's actually doing this, so it's um, you know they obviously think they're going to make money out of it some way or other. <laughs> but um, it they're actually talking about making a hybrid, of course, because a, a mammoth is a type of elephant, and uh, so they reckon that they can get some of the the mammoth genes that have survived in the fossil, you know, we're only talking about thousands of years, by the way, here, um, but uh, they reckon they can get some of those uh, genes out of the mammoth fossil and put them in an elephant's genome, so replace the genes in the elephant and get something more like a mammoth. But they're not going to get a mammoth. They're going to get a, a hybrid mammoth elephant. Um, and whether it has the requirements needed to live in a cold environment of course, because elephants uh, are really adapted to a hot environment. They have, don't have a lot of hair, got big ears, and the big ears enable them to get rid of heat. Um, they've got a lot of blood vessels in their ears, and those big flappy ears, you know, they ra- radiate a lot of heat. Uh, whereas the mammoths have got tiny little ears, like uh, uh, Arctic wolves have tiny ears also because the ears lose a lot of heat, and so you keep the heat in. You want to keep warm, you don't want to lose your heat. So... So And also they've got lots of other stuff like um, they've got sebaceous glands, they're oil glands. And uh, you know how a duck preens itself, you know? Mm, What's it doing? It takes oil from its preening gland and rubs it over all the feathers basically so that the the duck's feathers are waterproof and the water doesn't stick to the feathers. Well, if you live in an icy environment um, where the snow falls on you and your body heat melts the snow and, and ice and that penetrates through into your skin, that's going to make you cold. 
So what the mammoths had was this uh, oily glands that oiled the hair and made it waterproof. And uh, so, so there's some challenges there in the hybrid model that they want to develop. Interesting little context uh, arrangement here because, uh, as you say, mammoths are not that old. No. And so the tendency to think of mammoths is to put them in the same category as dinosaurs, which people perceive to be a whole lot older yeah. than, uh, than mammoths. But yeah. uh, the last mammoth, as I understand from uh, the article that I read, was uh, it was only about 4,000 years ago. Yeah, and I think historical evidence suggests that they were existed later than that, you know. But it's, we're only talking about thousands of years here, whereas dinosaurs, I mean, they're talking about at least 66 million years you know that's a staggering amount of time uh you know a, a million is a thousand times a thousand you know <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh, well interestingly there too because i know that a biblical creation perspective would have dinosaurs uh, walking alongside mammoths In, that would be the way that uh, the creation biblical perspective would go if you take those genealogies as being Truthful. Yeah, the time frame in Genesis, we would say that, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, an, uh, the land animals were created on day six at creation week. That would be the mammoths and the dinosaurs, the land animals, uh, along with mankind on the sixth day. It was eating and morning the sixth day. So a straightforward reading would, yeah, they lived together. So the company that's planning to do this, as you say, a private company, Colossal it's called, uh, well, they say that it plans to insert DNA sequences of woolly mammoths collected from well-preserved remains in the permafrost and frozen steppes into the genome of Asian elephants to create an elephant-mammoth hybrid. How do hybrids tend to go? Any thoughts here from you, Don? Well, it's interesting. Uh, when you look at a biblical kind, uh, we talk about God creating an elephant kind. didn't necessarily create mammoths separately to other elephants, but there was an elephant kind which had all the capacity to be a mammoth or be an Asian elephant or an African elephant. You know, all these are derived from original created kind. So the fact you can make a hybrid suggests that they derive from God's original created kind. So you look at uh, hybrids of cats, for example. You've got a tiger, which is a tiger... Tigon, I'm sorry, which is a tiger and a lion hybrid, and I think all that. And sometimes these are infertile. I can't have babies, but and think of the mule, for example, uh, with horses, horses and zebras and donkeys, and you got a zonkey, which is a, a zebra and a donkey hybrid. Um, and uh, so they, these are all derived from the original created kind. And uh, so we talk about there's species. They're called species today. And so God didn't create every species of horse or every species of dog or wolf or whatever, you know. Now, I'm imagining here, from what I'm hearing from you, you're saying, well, it is possible that they may be able to create a hybrid. Is yeah. that the way you're seeing it? Uh, it's, it's a long shot. Uh, okay. Yeah, right, yeah, and and uh, e even with thousands of years, the degradation of the DNA, even when it's in the permafrost, is still significant. I mean, laboratory studies, they looked at this like a, in DNA in a lab, and um, um, you can simulate it. So basically there's a chemical um, relationship between temperature and degradation, basically. You can establish that in the lab, and you can work out that, that after... Uh, 10,000 years at 15 degrees C, you'd only have 13 letters together, like 13 of the, the letters in the DNA, the base pairs, only 13. The, the average fragments would be 13 base pairs. Now, put that in context that you'd need 
for a lot of enzymes, you need thousands of base pairs and proteins. You know, so a lot of your genes are thousands. You need thousands of them. So if you only got fragments of 13 on average, you've got to then try and match them up and join them together. It's a, it's, it's a long shot, a really long shot. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, what you're indicating here, given that we're talking about uh, these pairs being thousands of years old, uh, the idea of uh, dinosaurs, if we bring that into the equation here, there would be certainly an impossibility. So coming back to the Jurassic Park thing again here, because just having these pairs survive thousands of years, and when it's in mm-hmm. the permanent permafrost, yep. uh, that's creating the long shot. Yep. Uh, so the idea of the Jurassic Park, that really is that, way out of the that's really park. That's really science fiction, but he, here's the rub. According to the long age view, which of course dominates our society today, the belief that dinosaurs died out 66 million years ago, uh, no chemist would say that there could possibly be any DNA left. Right, it'd be all degraded. Wouldn't even be, wouldn't even be base pairs. It'd be nothing you could see up to that time frame. No way in the world, even if it was frozen for 66 million years, there's no way to keep any DNA left. Here's the rub: as DNA has been found. Uh, like when you when you section a, a dinosaur bone, look under a microscope, you can put stains on it to actually detect what's there. And there's a stain called, for short, DAPI, D-A-P-I, and it stains DNA. And there's been a number of studies now that have found DNA in the nucleus. And this is an incredible thing that the the cells with the nucleus, are, you can see it in the in the fossil. You know, so in other words, this is original material. It's not been, you know, replaced by minerals. Um, and you can look, you can see DNA in the in the sections of the slides of the of the of the, of the fossils, and um, there's just a report last week from st- from a study in China where they found DNA in the fossil dinosaur, and th- this to me just underlines the fact that they're not millions of years old. <laughs> well, you actually you drop a bombshell there in the thinking that is there, of course, in a lot of Christians as well, about the millions of years theories. People just accept it. Uh, but yeah. what you're saying is next time you hear a report that there is DNA found in dinosaur bones, that's not evidence for 66 million years. No. That's evidence that those dinosaurs were alive probably thousands of years exactly right and, <laughs> and even even back to triassic you know which is much earlier than 66 million years there's been triassic dinosaur bones with dna stained in them okay it's evidence for creation helping you make sense of life culture and current events from a biblical perspective 2020 on vision our talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. We're talking woolly mammoths and whether they could be rewilded, uh, de-extinctioned. Uh, you can pick up some new terminology in all of this. Uh, 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Dr. Don Batten, CEO of Creation Ministries International. Let's uh, take a call. Cindy is on the line from Benalla in Victoria. And Cindy, a special welcome along to 2020. Hello. Um, I was watching a program last night about sinkholes and they they open up without any warning in America, Australia. You know, they've had them in Melbourne. Um, I think they're all over the world. I think they're common. 
but they go 20 metres deep and 20 metres wide and um, your whole house, your paddock, your roads, they all go under and you as well if you're in that situation. Um, but I remember in the Bible, wasn't there a sinkhole for some bad guys and, and it was God that caused it? Oh, I think uh, you're talking about uh, the ground opening up. I think that yeah, might be well, the following. AI story. I think mm. that was, uh, mm. um, yes, uh, after the uh, Israelites had crossed the Jordan River and uh, yeah. Jericho was a big success, they went on to AI and there was some uh, uh, some uh, taking of the uh, the loot around the edges and there's a bunch of yeah. them got sucked into yeah. a, a an opening in the ground. Anyway, I'm yeah. not sure I forgot all of the perfect details right there, but oh, I think, I think, Batten? You think you've done pretty well. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. it was about the ground swallowing them up and they, they, were, they were being really bad, so it was God was you know, the yeah, cause well. of it. Of course, it's the timing of it that's a miracle, isn't it? That, that it just happened to be at that very moment where it needed to happen to save the Israelites, well, a, you know. There was a lot of narrow escapes in some of the situations where the sinkholes happened. Um, yeah, they're, they're very scary, them sinkholes. Yes. They, they're, not caught, they're not caused by a coal seam gas thingy, are they? You know, under the ground where they... No, 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 that's... that's the, 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 these sinkholes were happening a long time before any coal seam gas was being removed. Um, yeah, that's right. They're, they're more than 2,000 years old, I reckon. Uh, yeah, um, and uh, it just underlines how young our Earth is, basically, that if it was as old as they claim, you'd think all this would have settled down by now. But, uh, in fact, it's, these sorts of things are happening all the time. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it sort of underlines that how life is temporary, and we need to be prepared for eternity, doesn't it? It's uh, something yeah. as, as a Christian, and uh, we 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 don't live in fear. You know, perfect love casts out fear, and uh, you know, Jesus said, "Blessed are the peacemakers." You know, I think I see some Christians running around today, sort of casting fear about all sorts of things, and. It's a, it's a very negative way to live, and we should be light. We should be peacemakers. We should be those bringing peace what is, to people. What do, you, what do you think about that bright red pill they got out for the COVID? If you get COVID, you take the pill and it cures you. I'm a bit wary of that when they haven't done a lot of tests on it because of the morning after pill or what it, you know morning sickness pill. Apparently, that did a lot of damage, and they thought that was great. Yeah, uh, this, this is brand new and uh, it, it sounds very impressive, but as you say, it's had minimal testing yet, so uh, um, at least the vaccines have been around for well over a year now, so there's a fair bit of, um, uh, billions, billions of people have received the vaccine, so there's a lot of experience with the vaccine, but this new drug, that's brand new and uh, as you say, limited testing yet. Cindy, thanks so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might want to join in our conversation and we'll keep it focused on uh, whether we're talking woolly mammoths or dinosaurs or DNA, but you might have a creation evolution question. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Let's come back to the woolly mammoth. And uh, we were talking a little about DNA and uh, you were talking about the pairs. They have to be there all in the right place and sequences and all sorts of things that are quite complicated. Uh, The non-scientific mind doesn't always easily grasp those sorts of things. But DNA itself, important in our bodies. Uh, You know, look at your hand. Uh, There's DNA in there. and, uh, And every living thing. 
And and so when we talk DNA, and of course, uh, you know, the big discovery of uh, DNA and uh, genomes and back, all sorts of back things. Back in the 60s. Uh, so these things are relatively recent. Mm. Do they say anything about creation, Don? Oh, they scream at us, creation. They're screaming creation. They scream at us, creation. Um, yeah, the, the discovery of DNA back in, in well, in 1961, I think the double helix was uh, announced and... Uh, Watson and Crick, and it's all most people have heard of these things. But uh, and then since then, the whole molecular biology explosion in knowledge has just been uh, gobsmackingly amazing. And uh, everything we look at just screams at us. This is designed by a super, super intelligent creator. Uh, you know, every day discoveries are made, which just are um, mind-bogglingly sophisticated. You know, what's the, the way in which the DNA is. Uh, transcribed into proteins and how it controls our our cells and our bodies and uh, the digestion of our food and you know when you eat your breakfast uh, your your uh, saliva secretes uh, amylase to digest the starch that you've just eaten this is an enzyme which is coded on the DNA and the DNA is decoded to make the enzyme which digests your food and this is just a just a tiny little example of how you only you only actually produce it when you need it you don't produce it when you're not you don't need the enzyme it's not produced you know so like it's turned on and turned off it's uh it's funny sometimes when i think we sometimes get this uh, balance the idea of uh you know uh the randomness of the evolutionary model mm-hmm. and we say the other side is creator but when you add what's necessary on the creator side super intelligence uh, then we recognise the powerful uh, side that I want to be on. I want to be on that side, the yeah. super intelligence creator side, not the random nothingness. I, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, I exactly. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's take one from Ross, who is in Melbourne. Hello, Ross. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Good, Ross. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are that all universities in the Western world started from Christian institutions and churches. Correct. And they were, they were teaching the correct biblical worldview, which is the right view. I'm not being biased now, because <laughs> for thousands of years we've operated so well. And this last century, everything's just gone the other way. How do we get these institutions, is there any thoughts, to get them back on track? Okay. Uh, good good Go question, and uh, you're right that all the older universities were all started from a Christian basis and Christian perspective. Uh, I think the only secular older university is Cornell University that I, I can think of. Um, but uh, yeah, how do we get them back on track? That's a. I, I think what we're looking at here is a wholesale revival of Christian faith in in the society as a whole. Um, you, you're not going to get it by just you know, opposing what they do or trying to present a different point of view. Uh, the different point of view lays the groundwork. That is the creation evidence and things like that lays the groundwork for revival where people can think, I need to, I need to believe what the Bible says about sin and salvation and need to get right with God. And then uh, when society is rejuvenated, and this has happened in the past, I mean, there's been very dark periods in uh, since the Reformation where there's been a desperate need for revival of Christian faith. I mean, America went through a very dark period in the early 1800s, um, and then the great revivals came and just turned the country upside down. And this, so we need this to happen. We need the country turned upside down by revival. 
Sometimes we talk about things getting so bad that the revival comes. Uh, Any thoughts here, Don? Because, uh, you know, some people say things are really bad now, aren't they? Perhaps not as bad as when you're talking about that, uh, the Great Awakening revival, uh, the 18th century. Well, things were decimated in the UK at the time. Yeah, and in the US and and, and Australia uh, was affected by revival as well. I mean, middle 1800s, a lot of gospel... Uh, during the gold rushes and things, a lot of people came to faith in Christ, itinerant preachers, churches were founded. Uh, back in the 1920s, you remember the Sunday schools, I, I remember Sunday school that one of my ancestors was involved with in, in uh, Sydney, they had an open-air Sunday school, 500 kids in the inner city area in Sydney. And uh, this was just the strength of the Christian faith at the time. And uh, so we, we really need a, reno- a complete revolution in, in the society, turn it upside down, get back to where we should be, should be uh, we're heading for disaster. We've kicked God out, and we're heading for disaster. That's clear. But here's the thing. The light shines brightest in the darkness. Okay, 1-800-316-316 to be part of our conversation. Thanks so much to Ross. Let's take another call. David is in Logan in Queensland. Hello, David. Welcome. Oh, you know, mate, I'm just going back to um, what the lady said about the sinkholes, you know, just sort of wondering, is that is that God or is that just an act of nature? Sorry, what the lady and, said um, about what? Just to clarify yeah. that, what what did you say again? Oh, uh, what the lady said about sinkholes. Oh, the sinkholes, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. Is it, is it an act of God or is it just an act of nature? Um, yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah. This, this raises a mystery, actually, uh, which is, uh, you know, how much is, how much is God and how much is nature? And uh, I would say as a Christian that God's in control. So whatever happens is not outside his will. Um, but then we have to, then we ask the question, why? You know, and we don't know, uh, often don't know. Only God knows. Um, so there are natural things and we can ex- give them a natural explanation. But there's also the fact of God's sovereignty and he's in control of what's happening. So it's not as if God's pulling the strings, if, if you like, and making a sinkhole appear here or something like that. Uh, but we can look at that and say uh, it's part of God's overall plan and purpose in in nature. I sometimes think of uh, the difference between a natural evil and a moral evil, and sometimes there's a grey area here, but a natural evil when there's a natural disaster. You say, well, uh, that's something that has occurred naturally, Mm. but when it's a moral evil, and supposing a sinkhole was caused by uh, the fracking or whatever someone, (laughs) the lady mentioned a little bit earlier, well then, if that was a human intervention that caused a sinkhole to happen, then all of a sudden you've got a moral evil, because if someone was doing something immoral to make that sure. happen, then you've got a moral evil. So you can sort of differentiate between those sorts of things. But thank you so much, David, for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Let's hear from Penny in Jeeveston. Thank you, so much. Oh, Penny. hello. How are you? Good. Penny, need to be quick. N- nearly news time. Yes. Hello, Dr. Batten. Um, hello, Penny. My... Question it really is very simple. It is why are they choosing a woolly mammoth? Is it because the genetics there are easier to deal with or what's the real purpose behind what they're doing? Uh, yeah, good question. Being a private company, you've got to say, what's their motive? I mean, uh, I, I think perha- perhaps it's just a way of getting their name on the map. <laughs> yep. That uh, here's something that grabs people's imagination. Um, 
some of the uh, some other scientists have said, well, wouldn't that money be better spent looking after the creatures that are actually threatened now and saving them rather than trying to resurrect something which is uh, from the past, which it's a long shot anyway, is whether they can even manage to get a hybrid. Um, surely that money should be better put towards uh, saving some of the things that are, that are on the verge of extinction at present and that's probably might be a good argument for that as well and penny you're in tasmania you might be saying why aren't they spending that money to bring back the thylacine that's the, right, Tas- yeah. the tasmanian tiger uh, penny thank you so much for your call uh, don let me ask you about the spin-offs that come from the pursuit of trying to create a hybrid a woolly mammoth with an elephant, which we've been talking about over this past half hour. Uh, technological spin-offs that can come from this sort of thing. Actually, there's some positives here, aren't there? Oh, yeah. It's like um, NASA's space program. I mean, a lot of it's just like, uh, well, we, we'd like to find out. You know, There's no obvious uh, benefit to anybody of going to the moon or going to Mars or anything like that. Um but uh, the technological spin-offs have been considerable. Uh, so, you know, one of the things is looking at the computers and things. Uh, you know, you need computers and you need things that run on very low power and all this sort of thing, solar cells, solar technology, all sorts of stuff has been spun off from the NASA space program. And, I mean, not the least of which is that pen that writes upside down. Okay. <laughs> yes. How does the ink flow up? Yep. Um, I mean, the, 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 the Russians just took a pencil up, but the Americans... <laughs> <laughs> That's their claim to fame. That's their claim yep. to fame. They've developed a, a, a pen uh, um, that would work upside down. Anyway, the pencil does the job too. Uh, anyway, so lots of these things ha- do have spin-offs in terms of uh, developing our knowledge and developing techniques and things which can have benefits to humankind. But they're sort of side. They're, they're things that sort of are serendipity that happen. Uh, along with it, they're not the aim of it. Um, so they've raised all these millions of dollars from uh, private investors to do this, but uh, I guess the private investors get their name on the thing you know, and the company gets their name out there and there's a lot of spin-offs for the fame and all that sort of stuff. That they're and, and they're working with woolly mammoths, so that's got a certain headline appeal about it and here we are talking about it. Well, so that's right. It, it worked. That, that, it worked. It worked. That's people are talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So it captures people's imagination. You know, like the idea of sending woolly mammoths back to the tundra in, uh, in Alaska and uh, Siberia and so on. But I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding here too that people imagine that these uh, woolly mammoths can live in that environment today and that's not necessarily the case it's the the um in a biblical model is an ice age after the flood and in fact the oceans are warm following the flood and so the climate up in siberia was actually quite equable and in fact a lot of the fossils of animals and things there are not cold country animals they're things like horses and things like that that are actually not cold country animals and uh, there was a a very equable climate particularly near near the ocean because of the warmth of the ocean and we know today, if you're near a warm ocean, you've got a much nicer climate. If you're near a cold ocean, you're near a cold ocean, you get drought. You get a warm ocean, you get lots of rainfall. And so the east coast of Australia gets lots of lots of rainfall compared to the west coast of Australia because the west coast got a cold current running up from the Arctic, uh, whereas the east coast got a warm current running down from the tropics. So that's a big difference in the climate. Well, the 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 area around the uh, north of the uh, Arctic and so on was quite nice after the flood and then the ice age developed over hundreds of years and then it became so cold like we see today 
So the question is, the mammoths thrived in that environment, but when it got extremely cold, that's when they became extinct. So um, would, would, would it work putting them back? If you had a hybrid that had the right, right uh, characteristics and so on, would it, would it work to put it back there? I don't think so. <laughs> They'd mm. go, go extinct again. Yep. Just before we take some calls, uh, 1-800-316-316, an important question here about the idea of creating hybrids and such things, uh, a moral issue because sometimes we talk about experimentation and new frontiers. And uh, as Christians, uh, having an ethical foundation, we'll often think uh, that seems to be you know, transgressing uh, some, some, some of those moral lines. Is there a moral issue, do you think, in creating hybrids like a new woolly mammoth? I don't think there's, a, there's an ethical issue there. There would be a, an ethical issue if they're experimenting on humans or you know trying to do something along these lines with humans. That would be ethical. That would be tampering with the image of God. You know, our Christian's perspective is people are made in the image of God, animals aren't. So, and we're we're put in authority over the animals, if you like. Originally in Genesis, I mean, we had dominion over the, cre- the creation, but we don't have dominion over other people. So. Uh, so we don't have a right to be fiddling with the image of God. Important distinctions. Let's take some calls. Let's first of all take a call from Dorothy in Rockhampton. Hello, Dorothy. Welcome. Hi. Dorothy, what's your question? Uh, sorry, my name is Sophie. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes. if I got. Uh, yes. I might have. Uh, I might have. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Your name is okay. Salty. Did you yeah, say? Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, my name is Sophie now. Oh, Sophie. Um, Sorry, so- Sophie. Yes. Sorry, Sophie, what's your question? Um, actually, what you mentioned earlier on a few minutes ago kind of like tied into my my kind of, it's not really a question, it's like a concern, and I would really want to appreciate to hear a thoughts from Dr. Um, with the knowledge increase, although it is some, it's good in some aspects, uh, especially the rise of AI and technology, and with men trying to create or alter tampering with DNA, um, well, in this aspect with, with animals, but also with humans in the prospects of improving health, um, our dreams of in, improving environment and quality of life, it's a bit worrying to see that we're now tapping into creation, which is a very sacred thing that only God knows. And um, I would want to hear thoughts from the doctor, like, from a Christian perspective, like what 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 would be his advice concerning such? Thank you. It's an ethics issue, I think, here, Don. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, for Sophie? Yeah, I think we already touched upon that in terms of the the big thing, of course, is uh, that we humans are made in the image of God, and and uh, so therefore human life is sacred. It was right through the Bible, if you take a human life, then there's there's a, there are con- serious consequences because. Uh, uh, human life is sacred, uh, but animal life is not sacred in that sense. That doesn't mean we wantonly destroy, of course, any life, uh, but uh, we're certainly not cruel and things like that. But uh, I don't see an ethical issue in uh, experimenting at animals. Now, if, if they start experimenting on uh, humans, then that's another issue, and that's an ethical issue. Um, and, and you're right to be concerned about um, if they start using, for example, there's a technology called CRISPR, and CRISPR enables the editing of genes. And uh, CRISPR comes, to, these, are, these are enzymes that come from bacteria, and they have specific actions, and they can edit genes. 
And so, for example, their dream is to take say, cystic fibrosis, for example, is, is caused by one gene, one letter error in a certain gene and it causes terrible disease. Now, here's an here's a, here's a honourable aim is to cure the disease. But in getting there, uh, how are they going to do that without experimenting on, say, human embryos or something like that? Uh, there are serious ethical questions about that, about the morality of doing those sorts of things. I think when we're talking about knowledge increase, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, computers, uh, you know, doing the calculations and making the changes, uh, clearly there's whatever morality is coming from the person who's in charge of the experimentation is going to be important there. Because if you don't have a Christian ethical base, uh, then maybe the sky's the limit and there's no restrictions and all of a sudden all of those those lines are, are crossed. Indeed so, and uh, something that's concerned me for a long time is the scientists who believe in evolution. They believe that all the incredible complexity of life has come about by random mutations and natural selection. They believe that life is a consequence of accidents, and consequently there can be a lack of respect for the complexity of what they're dealing with. And the thought then is a bit of tinkering can make it better because it's just thrown together by evolution, if you like. So therefore... Uh, there's a there's lack of respect for the inc- incredible sophistication of living things and therefore a lack of care in terms of how you go about uh, trying to make it better or fix it or something like that. Sophie, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's see if we can squeeze in as many calls as we can. Libby is in Adelaide. Hi, Libby. Welcome. Hi. Uh, love your program. I'll be really quick. Um, how can we? What are the steps and the costs involved in proving paternity using DNA if the father, um, whether he be the biological father or not, we're unsure, if he is in his 90s, the mother is deceased, and all three children are missing? Oh, there's a complicated one for you, Don. <laughs> So you don't have the DNA of, of of some of the subjects that you. Well, it's going to be very. That's right. It's going to be very difficult. Isn't ha, it? Ha, have you got any suggestion whatsoever? What we do, who do we approach, and the cost? <laughs> I, I can't help you there. I think uh, yeah, you've you've uh, you've stumped Don Batten, and that's not easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that might no. be uh, it. Might be a more specialised. Uh, what sort of uh, specialist would have an answer for? Well, uh, if, you, if you have relatives of those people, they don't have necessarily have to be the children, but if they left offspring, um, then it, mm-hmm. can, it, it can be done through their offspring. You raise there's three, ch- three children. They're at, actually abducted, and it's a crime, an Adelaide crime that goes back to 1966. Right. And um, th- there were three children, and we have strong suspicion that the firstborn... Um, the, the, the father is not the biological father, and we've got to prove it. Ah, right. Yes. Yeah, that's very difficult if the if the people are are missing. There's no way you can do it, actually. Mm. <laughs> Libby, I don't think we've been very helpful for you today. No. Uh, <laughs> 
You do raise another issue, though, but I'll let you go. Thank you so much for your call, Libby. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. It does raise uh, a big issue there on, uh, you know, if you're going to be doing making hybrids out of woolly mammoths, mm-hmm. uh, what about uh, digging up your own ancestors and, uh, you know, a hybrid of your uh, your grandfather? Uh, I mean, and I'm, I'm not being disrespectful to, uh, to Libby, who just called through with a very serious question, but mm. there's all sorts of ways that people could get out of control with this. Mm. It's interesting with all the DNA stuff that's been done, like Ancestry.com, and I've had my DNA done, and and <laughs> this is really funny. But <laughs> okay. uh, they've dug up. Uh, this guy came out of the blue. He said, I, I think I might be related to you, and it turns out that my paternal grandfather seems to have had a liaison, <laughs> which nobody knew about. Right. And this yep. guy, because the Ancestry DNA has actually tracked all this and put him in my family. <laughs> The, skeletons uh, in the back closet. In the, <laughs> skeletons in the closet. Now, this this goes back to the 1920s, just yes. a long time ago. Yep. Um, but uh, it, this DNA can can dig up stuff that's, you know, it it's sort of, um, yeah, skeletons in the cupboard. And it is a new frontier. And as you say, if it isn't crossing moral boundaries, then it's something that someone will want to explore. Someone mm. will have the right investors uh, to allow that exploration like this colossal company. And they've mm. chosen the woolly mammoth. They could have chosen any sort of uh, extinct animal. But there's a headline there mm. and it captures your imagination. And uh, in some sense, that that does us good as, as long as we're able to process that in a way that we can say there are moral boundaries that we shouldn't cross. That's correct, yeah. Okay, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Graham is in Burnie in Tasmania. Hi, Graham. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, we've opened a Pandora's box, but, you know, in the beginning, with God said, uh, you know, I'll come down and have a look at Babylon because of what they're doing and whatever they think they'll be able to do their imaginations. And we've come to that time now. And uh, we can do a lot of things. We have uh, a beefalo in America. We have Southeast Asia. We have a Bang Tang Rama hybrid, which is about fifteen hundred years ago since it started. So it's no, it's not impossible for them to produce a, a creature that can be very similar to a mammoth in the time to come. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it, it's it's possible, but highly unlikely. But uh, anyhow, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to see how they progress. Uh, Graham, but, but you're right, Graham. Uh, we do live in a time like Babel, where people are proud and full of pride about uh, human achievements and things and basically thumbing their nose at God. That's that's what's happening at Babel. Um, And we live in similar times, that's for sure. (coughs) Pardon me. Graham, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Interesting to talk about Babel in (coughs) in relation to this increasing scientific knowledge because there are utopian aspirations uh, that are at work in the world, mm. uh, just people with different political ideologies. Uh, but there must be those sorts of aspirations within the scientific community. Is there a sort of an undercurrent of all sorts of utopian ideas in the scientific community, Don? Oh, certainly. And it's not just scientific. As you say, it's political and across the board. Um, but at the, at the root of it all, um, you have a problem of human nature. And nothing in science will change human nature. And our nature is to sin, to walk away from God, to turn our back on God, to turn our back on our Creator. And and all the 
social problems we have in the world actually come about because people have turned their back on God. And uh, the utopia comes when we return to God. When we contrast the Christian view with this Godless view and the thought that, uh, well, the Godless people, they're not worried about the boundaries. They're just wanting to get some new progress happening in their science. Yeah, or they want, uh, to, make, or they want to make some money. <laughs> just to bring you back here to what we were talking about in the first part of our conversation, this idea that God is the super intelligence. Mm. Uh, the way that we might, as Christians, think: uh, let's be cautious. Let's not. Uh, let's not uh, transgress any uh, boundaries that might create major, uh, even ecological disaster. Uh, there's wisdom in recognizing the superintelligence of God uh, in the creation, because if you take God out of the equation and you just have a free for all, then you're actually uh, walking on very, very uh, unsteady ground. Yeah, well, um, as a Christian and as a scientist, uh, I look at what God's created and I th- marvel at it. And we should tread carefully in terms of what how we deal with it. And that's the perspective we should have. So people, uh, people that don't have that perspective, there's a tendency to be arrogant and to actually want to do things which really are inappropriate. And uh, so we should have respect for what God's created and tread carefully. If we talk about an evolutionary mindset, uh, giving people that sort of empowerment to explore in an uncontrolled way, uh, let's come back to the value of a creation account here, the biblical account, uh, the true account of how things are, real history of the world. You say that's important because... If that's not important, uh, then where does the gospel fit into all of that? Because there is a salvation gospel that we all champion, and we need to have an appreciation for real history, don't we? Well, because the gospel depends on the real history in Genesis, because uh, Adam and Eve, they're real people, created by God, they rebelled against God, brought sin and death and suffering and disease into the world because God withdrew some of his sustaining power as a consequence of sin. And then we have the flood of Noah, which destroyed the world, created the fossils and the rocks under our feet, um, and then the Tower of Babel. And this is the first 11 chapters of Genesis are referred to right through the Bible. Jesus referred to them. Jesus referred to Adam and Eve, create, and it referred to the flood. Um, and not only that, but Jesus is called the last Adam. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in Romans, uh, we talk, it talks about the Adam and the origin of sin and death and, uh, and how why Jesus came. Jesus came because of what happened through Adam. So we're all descendants of Adam. We're all in Adam, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're all in Adam. We all sin. We all confirm what he did by our own actions. We all need to be forgiven. We all need to repent of our sin and turn to God for forgiveness, which is available through Jesus, the last Adam. So the last Adam comes to bring life, to bring eternal life to pay the price for our sin in Adam. And so if Adam's not a real person and the millions of years story which has replaced the Bible's history undoes all that in Genesis. It undoes There's no Adam and Eve. They're just a myth. There's no fall. There's there's already death and suffering disease in the world for hundreds of millions of years before people appeared in the scene. And there's no flood. And all these things just out the window if you accept that other view. And, and if you think about it, it undermines everything. And that's where you call liberal theology comes from, is the attempt to meld these things together. They don't go together. They're like oil and water. They don't mix. 
and uh, mixing them together doesn't work. Getting a good foundation, a biblical idea of creation. Uh, creation.com, I'll often say there's more than 10,000 searchable articles. Actually, that I, think can... I think it's up to 14,000 now, I but know, anyway. I, I always think it's easier to say there's more than 10,000, but uh, yes, it keeps growing all the time. Yeah. Uh, and these are qualified scientists who are writing these articles, and it's searchable. Uh, is there a, a bank of detail around this idea, DNA? And uh, I'm sure you probably haven't got the woolly mammoths up there yet. But well, you yeah, might have, yeah. You're, you're planning stuff, on well, not, not this particular thing, but there's stuff about woolly mammoths for sure. Good. Okay. Um, <laughs> and particularly how their adaptations and things and the Ice Age and how they fit into the Ice Age. There's a lot of just to look up uh, creation.com and search woolly mammoths or just mammoths, you'll get it. Uh, but also if you look up and search for soft tissue, soft tissue, uh, you'll find there's a lot of articles there about soft tissue, DNA, proteins, and all sorts of stuff being found in fossils that shouldn't be there if they're millions of years old. And this assumption that some people seem to have, that if you're talking about the creation view, there's not much to, to say. There's a lot to say, there's isn't a, there, Don Batten? There's a lot to say, and every day there's new material. Um, you mentioned about the, a while ago about the DNA repair systems. That's another story. But, you know, there's three repair systems. How does a repair system? See, so the DNA is degrading all the time, but, but actually God designed it with these three repair systems which actually fix the, 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 the errors that are occurring. And so um, how did we ever get anywhere without the repair systems and how could they evolve? I mean, this is just this. It's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much evidence that God created things, and every day the evidence grows. Every day the evidence grows. You can check out more evidence uh, when you search those 14,000-odd articles at creation.com. Dr. Don Batten is the CEO of Creation Ministries International. Don, always good getting an update with you. Thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. My pleasure, Neil. Great to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.